This is a production of KMmedia.pro. Welcome back to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So come on over into our world. I know you'll like it, because on today's show... A little offbeat that we don't normally do here, but I think that you're going to like it. It's going to be a a really fun show, and uh, I hope you'll stay with us the entire time. And I guarantee you, guarantee you're going to learn something. And uh, Eric, how are you today, sir? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you very much. I've got to tell you, the gentleman that we have on is a very smart guy. He's been all over the world. He's done some great stuff. He's written three books, and... uh, they're 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 intelligent action thrillers and it, and I wanted to have him on because he also is an expert on AI, which is uh, something that is really hot 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 in the news these days. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So how are you? How's the weather? How's the traffic? Hey, it's springtime, you know. So I'm loving it. Traffic is okay. It's uh, it's a Monday, so you know it's typically just a touch better than your average day, and especially when. We got such a nice day, so yeah, um, yeah. And uh, stay tuned for at the bottom of the hour. Um, I have an announcement on behalf of KKNW that I need that I need to make, and uh, and I think it's 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 an opportunity for you to uh, do something really fun. Have you ever taken the Victoria Clipper to uh, Victoria, BC, Eric? I have. Yeah, it's a beautiful trip. It really is, and uh, and it's been a while since I've been to a famous Dave's restaurant. But but I will explain why those two things are connected at the bottom of the hour. So you need to stay. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. So um, could you could you kind of and I know we've been doing this, but we've got two new things that I wanted to mention here today. One is not as new because we've been doing it since the first of the year, but the other one starts fe- or, uh, April fourteenth, and I wanted to highlight that as well. So. Can you tell us why uh, they should be watching it, why they can watch us and listen to us now? <laughs> of course, yes. I mean, if you go to 1150kknw.com, quickest, easiest way to find Positive Talk Radio, yeah, because we're streaming the show live on video and audio, of course. So uh, you can tune into the radio in, in the old school way right there, 1150 on your dial. Or, of course, you can uh, check out uh, Positive Talk Radio's Facebook, Positive Talk Radio's YouTube, or KKNW's Facebook KKNW's YouTube or KKNW's Twitter and catch the show streaming live. Or, of course, you can catch it as an archive later. And uh, really, no reason to ever miss the show now. You can always go back and listen or watch it and uh, check out all these great guests that Kevin is bringing you weekly. Three times a week right now, but also it's going to be four times a week here coming soon to KIXI Fridays. (laughs) <laughs> starting april 14th as you hinted at kevin so uh that's pretty cool now, now i uh um tell people that we're going to add that we're not replacing anything so we're going to still be on kknw three days a week but we're adding um kixie at uh, three o'clock on friday afternoon um and i've been telling people it's a fifty thousand watt uh, uh high powered station am i correct in that sir yeah it's got a great great signal and it goes all the way from almost Vancouver all the way to the Canadian border down to like Olympia and Chehalis. Am I, have I been misspeaking? 
No, I mean, I, I, I think it all depends exactly where you're at <laughs> in any of those areas. But, of course, uh, you can listen to KIXI online if you're not picking it up on your dial. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's a great signal. Lots of great listeners. Um, and so uh, I'm looking forward to having you on the station over there. Me as well. It'll be a lot of fun, and we get to uh, touch a whole brand-new audience that may not uh, visit KKNW, and maybe we can get some cross-pollination um, um, going on here. I don't know. I don't even know that's the right word, but I would like to think. So anyway. Always a good um, idea. But thank you, Eric, and uh, you have, and please, I think that you'll enjoy this. This, this is a very, uh, um, this gentleman, he's uh, he's uh, retired from 36 years executive career with a Fortune 100, not a Fortune 500, but a Fortune 100 company, a high-tech and global energy. Um, he's also a published songwriter for Disney Records, a patented in, uh, inventor, a Coast Guard charter captain, an adventurer, and now a self-published author of thrillers from cartel death threats in Latin America to uh, shark diving in the, in the, the Caribbean. Um, from the boardroom to a recording studio, from child homelessness to corporate jets, guys has pulled off a great life. And congratulations on everything. We talked the other day, and you can go to positivetalkradio.net, and we've talked extensively about AI, and we're going to touch on that today, but a little bit. But uh, you've got so much more that we need to talk about of the the books that you've written, and uh, one of them took ten years to research. Mm-hmm. That's and correct. So you've been you've been a you've been a busy man, and I don't know where you come up the time have time to do all this stuff. But congratulations! <laughs> I, I have a chronic sleep deficit. <laughs> <laughs> For you, that's probably a good idea. Yeah, it's, it, it's been a problem for a while, but I, I use it to my advantage. Thank you so much for having me back, Kevin. I appreciate it. Well, you know, I, it was very much, it was very fun the last time that you were here because, you know, AI is in a uh, current topic, but there is so much more that, that the books that you have written are based in as much technology and as much real-to-life stuff that you know about and uh, there are three books. One's called Swarm. Mm-hmm. The other one is The Last Ark. And the third one, which took 10 years to, uh, to uh, research, Curse of Cortez. Um, I wanted to focus on The Last Ark a little bit. Can you kind of give us uh, a, a, a synopsis of what that book is about? Absolutely. Well, The Last Ark is the second in an espionage prophecy series that started with Swarm. Now, in Swarm, we introduced the main characters, which include an an AI that had escaped the Lawrence Livermore Laboratories at Sandia, and that's based on a true story, and I know that it's true because when I figured out how a program could escape the NSA labs and what they designed it to do that it had that amazing stealth capability, I had two FBI agents show up at my door. (laughs) <laughs> on top of that, which, yeah, that was that was an episode all on its own that freaked my wife out. But in 2016, it was actually confirmed when CNN reported that Russia had hacked the CIA cyber toolkit. And in that toolkit was every one of the functions I had determined would belong to this program, including what we now call the deep fake video technology. Now, Russia sold that kit on the dark web, which is why deep fake is such a international problem today. 
Um, but we start with those characters and we've moved it forward. We, we get, deal with some um, cyber espionage threats based on an AI uh, Chinese uh, AI virus, which is something that we believe the Chinese are working on um, using the 4 billion identities that have been stolen over the last 10 years, uh, as well as a number of other scenarios. Now, in the last arc, one of the one of the underlying threads in this whole series is that this program, which I've give, made a character now and, and given it a name called Sylvia, which stands for Sophisticated Language Virtual Intelligence Algorithms. Now, Sylvia uh, has reached what we call a sentient level of uh, singularity, which means it's both self-aware and as smart as a, a normal as a human. And you now that's a really interesting um um, premise. Now, Elon Musk once said that with AI, we're summoning the demon. Um, Stephen Hawking said that with AI, we could could result in the end of humanity. And both of those are based on some real issues with regard to AI, how fast it's developing, how slow our ability to control it is, is developing from a political, legal, moral, and technology basis. Um, but it's we've seen recently with the chat GPT just how fast AI can grow. So in the last arc, the, the characters are now moving forward. And one of the themes that, that flows through all the books is that this program has now decoded end time prophecy. And it's doing so without the political um, uh, dogma and biases that we normally see in that type of topic, um, which can be cultural and religious and nationalistic and, and others. It's doing so by basically creating um, regression and probability analysis to say what's the probability of an event happening relative to all known history, geologic and, and natural and human history. And, and what, how is that prophesied and what's the probabilities and, and where the probabilities are starting to get out of uh, more so than the normal or basically not random chance. It's basically calling those things out. Now, there was always a prophecy that I was always curious about and, and really had a hard time kind of envisioning, and I'm still not sure how to see it, but I want to write about it anyway, which is a, a prophecy talking about a third temple in Israel. Now, for years, many people have said the, third, the old temple used to be where the current Islamic Dome of the Rock is. Uh, well, you'll learn in the last arc that first off, that's not true. But the other thing that kind of tied back to the temple was the idea of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, in Indiana Jones, we saw a scenario where the Ark had gone to Egypt, uh, and we saw this, this really great, fun story of that dealing with Indy and the Nazis. But for those who don't know, there has been an Ark of the Covenant that has existed in Ethiopia uh, for the last 900 years. Uh, for the several hundred years before that, it was on an island in Egypt called Elephant Island, where they had built a Jewish temple. Uh, and before that, it, it had come from there. It had come from Israel in 2,600 years ago uh, with the son of Solomon, whose name was Menenlech. And Solomon and Menenlech were sent with 500 priests with this ark, and they basically established the temple in it in, on Elephant Island. Now, ironically, there have been National Geographic stories. There have been news articles of people going out to try and interview the guardian of the ark who lives his entire life in this one little chapel to guard the ark. Um, there have been there's scrolls, there's archaeology uh, of the old temples. Uh, there's the hit. All of the history is extremely well known. What most people don't know is that uh, because of the uh, the flood of information coming through our news media, most of it American centric, is that in January 21, an Ethiopian militia 
stormed the city of Axum, where this church was that has guarded this ark, stormed the church. 750 men, women, and children were massacred, including the guardian. The ark was stolen and sold on the black market. So part of this, the, the, the scenario of the last ark is speculative to say, well, who, who would have the money, the power, and the desire to have that artifact, and what are they going to use it for? Coupled with that scenario is another true story that deals with, um, uh, in the 1960s, there was a copper scroll found outside of Qumran. Now, for those who don't know, all of the Dead Sea Scrolls that have been found since the 40s were found in caves uh, near the ancient ruins of a city called Qumran, which sits on the uh, Dead Sea. And um, this scroll had, when they finally were able to unravel this very brittle scroll and read it, it was unlike any scroll that they had found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It was actually a treasure map. It gave specific locations and directions to 64 locations where the pre-Babylonian priests had hidden tens of tons, billions and billions of dollars worth of uh, temple gold, silver, and treasures um, before the Babylonian invasion. And in the 64th location is a second copper scroll that describes where Jeremiah hid the Ark of Testimony made by Moses. Now, fascinating story, but for all those years since, people, there have been dozens of treasure hunters looking all over Jerusalem to try and find these very specific locations, but nobody has found any of them. Now, the excuse has been up till now that, well, Jerusalem has been destroyed and rebuilt so many times that it would be impossible to find these 2,000, 3,000 year old locations. Right. But a fellow came along named Jim Barfield, who's actually in Oklahoma from America, came along about eight years ago, I think it was. And he decoded all 64 locations underneath the ruins of Qumran itself. And he actually flew to Israel. He basically confirmed all the locations. And some of these locations were, say, 16 steps down from this location to this location. And he would go someplace in the ruins that had exactly 16 steps. And he'd say X number of cubits from this location to that location. And he'd go track that. And he, he was so convinced that he had decoded this that he went to the Israeli Sanhedrin, which is sort of the Jewish priest group in charge of rebuilding the temple. Uh, because in the Jewish tradition, the temple is only half meaningful unless you have an ark. And he convinced them that he was on to something. Well, they went and they talked to the Israeli is, uh, archaeology, antiquities and archaeology and antiquities group. And he convinced them to go out and do a metal scan. So they went out and they did a survey. They confirmed all the locations. They did a metal scan. They found non-ferrous gold, silver types of metals under every single one of those locations. And um, they, but they only dug down about two feet before they covered it up and said, there's nothing here. Even though the scroll specifically said to dig down not between nine and 12 feet, depending upon the location. And now the reason that they basically wanted to kill the rumors that were starting to fly around Jerusalem at the time was because Qumran is part of the Palestinian West Bank. And we all know how volatile the politics are between the Palestinian West Bank and, 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 and Israel. And by, under law, if Israel finds anything and digs it up on Palestinian land, they can't keep it. They have to go into this military military warehouse and be judged by tribunal. So the, the likelihood that Israel would ever see any of it was almost nil. 
But that was about the same time Israel started talking strongly about a single state solution. So the third, uh, the last arc deals with the geopolitical implications of both of these arcs coming to light at the same time and what might happen in those kinds of scenarios. Now, another side story that's going along with this deals with national security, both for Israel, for the US, et cetera. And in 2020, there was a, um, uh, a hack called the SolarWinds hack. And the reason it's called the SolarWinds hack is a tech company called SolarWinds discovered a virus in their system completely by accident. It wasn't because of a um, one of their firewall filters. It wasn't because of some systemic thing that they were doing to look for viruses. It was a completely random um, um, uh, discovery. And when they traced back the origins of that virus, they realized that different than all of the other kind of cyber attacks that they were used to, which would come through the firewall, this attack had been part of a normal standard industry-wide software update that they do all the time routinely, and no one caught it. That same software update impacted 18,000 corporations, including many of the companies that manage all of the data that supports our current AI infrastructure, and eight, eight, eight major U.S. agencies that are also using major AI for cybersecurity, uh, national security, national defense, FBI, uh, Department of Justice, etc. Now, that's important. That was important to me because in 2019, the DO, the Rand Corporation submitted a report to the DOD. And in that report, they listed AI data poisoning as one of the top 10 national security risks. Well, why is that? Well, all AI run on massive amounts of data. And, and by massive, I mean, for example, the current version of ChatGPT, which is so popular, has 75 billion data points supporting that, that system. The next version, which will be a generational leap forward, will have close to 100 trillion data points. So, but if that data somehow gets polluted, if somebody could find a way to get into those companies and create a persona or a systemic way to introduce bad data, it can cause uh, internal sabotage to that AI where it comes up with wrong answers and it would be absolutely untraceable. We couldn't say, well, this came from this um, enemy and they did this and so we have to retaliate. It would be an untraceable sabotage. And so that's why they believe that AI data poisoning is one of our biggest security risks, knowing that the data infrastructure for all of these AIs are spread. They, it's not one company that controls all of it. It's spread across a number of dozens of different companies and which creates a, a way for an enemy to basically infiltrate that. And the solar winds hack after several months, nobody still knows exactly what that virus was supposed to do because nobody can detect that they had any information stolen or corrupted. So there's a there's a scenario. There's a one of the plausibility scenarios is that this was a format to basically not to steal information, but to introduce bad information and bad data into that system. So between those three sort of realistic um, pillars is what we basically build the story of the last on. 
And so we deal with, uh, so that's, it's, it's a really exciting story. Uh, one of my um, readers basically said that if um, Dan Brown and Tom Clancy were to partner together on a, on a, on a thriller, it might look something like the last arc. Well, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. First of all, uh, you know, you've gave us a lot of information in a very short period of time. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's, that's okay. Cause there's a lot of information to be had, but, but let's go back to the, the arc, because for those of you who don't know the original arc, that's where they house the original 10 commandments that, uh, legend has it or, mm-hmm. or, or the Bible has it that, that they, they had, uh, that's where the, um, that's where the, um, uh, 10 the original 10 commandments that came from mount sinai that's where that was housed along with some other artifacts and stuff and you're telling me that and that the raiders of the lost ark wasn't right <laughs> sadly enough no it was a very fun story an amazing story but I, so i needed to write a a a story that was based on true archaeological evidence of the ark that was just as exciting as Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, but had more historical, uh, archaeological, um, factual information. You know, and and the in in Raiders of the Lost Ark, there are uh, nowadays there are, people like to talk about quotes, movie quotes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's a famous quote from that movie uh, that that people use for like trivia and stuff, which is snakes. Why do they <laughs> <be> snakes? Snakes. <laughs> Um, Now, the other um, interesting element that the story brings out is one of the um, what used to be a tab. And I think we touched on this briefly the last time we talked, but what used to be a taboo topic of AI, uh, sentient AI and an AI that's self-aware that can think for itself. It's not just simply regurgitating information in a, a grammatical way. Uh, but an AI that it can actually put two and two together and, 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 and do analysis. Um, there, it, there are now 15 to 25 companies, uh, tens of billions of dollars in research uh, behind these companies, actively working on developing a sentient AI. Now, what they believe they're going to do with this, I'm not 100% sure. There's a lot of secrecy behind that. We don't, nobody really has a good idea of what sentient AI might mean in terms of humanity. Uh, Bill Gates said that AI may not share the same values as as humans or the same goals as humans. So there is a risk in developing that AI. But right on parallel with those companies building the development, we see that the we're starting to gain major traction with quantum technology, quantum computing. Now, different than the normal, most of the AIs that are developed today are based on standard computing technology, binary technology. It's either a one or it's a zero. But in quantum mechanics and quantum computing, it can be one, it can be zero, or it could be both. And this allows quantum computers to solve a problem, a sophisticated problem that might be take months or years for a standard supercomputer to do. They might be a quantum computer has been shown to do it in a matter of minutes. And so we're dealing with an exponential level of uh, acceleration of computing power. And as it turns out, that quantum way of thinking, one, it could be one, zero or both, is very similar to how the human brain neurons basically interact with multiple scenarios possible at the same time. And so quantum computing, if we had an, uh, a, a, um, 
advanced artificial intelligence basically coupled with a quantum computing um, AI, you now have the ability to accelerate that curve into sentient level of um, development. And that's exactly the scenario that we begin to see in the last arc. So how long is this all going to take? Is it Because things seem to be accelerating with how fast technology is changing and yeah. i mean five years ago um even even like in my in my little computer that i have in my hand uh chat ai chat is mm-hmm. it works just it it's amazing what it can do um so how long do you think it would be before sentient um um ai beings could exist well leon musk was once said that it was 2029 I think it actually could be a little bit sooner in part because of the development of all these other companies working specifically on that topic, combining that um, that development along with quantum computing development. So I think quantum computer, it, quantum computing is basically helping to accelerate that curve. And yeah, it does look like we're accelerating extremely fast. But what I think you need to understand is that this is hard work that's been basically 20 years in the making. What we're seeing recently um, is um, how, is a consumer-facing application, which is ChatGPT. Uh, Google has Bard. Uh, there's a couple of others. I'm having trouble remembering the names, uh, but there's about four now uh, consumer-facing applications that so where a normal person can basically go in and experiment with AI. And the AI is using all of that data to basically accumulate more data of how to communicate, how to answer, how to respond. And so it is developing really fast. But like most computer technologies, we see a hundred and we basically see a, um, a, a generation evolving about every 18 months. And while that used to be specifically related to Moore's law, the ability to cram more information on a chip, um, that's it's not only Moore's law, but it's basically AI helping to develop AI. So most people don't realize that for several years now we've had AI in, involved in uh, in medicine, in pharmaceuticals, uh, in uh, materials development, uh, in weapons development, cybersecurity, um, a number <clears throat> excuse me, a number of the sciences are already using AI applications. Um, and have been doing so for uh, three or four years now. And so what we're seeing is the accumulation of that data and that performance uh, starting to build up. The other development that's happened just within the last, say, five years is what we're called neural networks. Now, neural network is essentially a network of applications, all of them AI applications that are sharing information back and forth. So it's a, uh, the, the biggest one that I'm aware of is called SingularityNet. It's based out of Hong Kong. So it's a Chinese uh, infrastructure, owned infrastructure. And what's a little scary about the neural networks and, and all AI in general is that AI will do two things that, that developers are, are a little afraid of. Now, it's actually one is that AI to AI communications. Uh, runs sometimes so fast and they're so voluminous in, in the millions of communications per second that we really don't have any mechanisms to fully understand what one AI is necessarily talking, telling to another AI, what data is being being transported. 
And the second thing is part of machine learning, the, the thing that's driving the large language model and many of the more advanced AIs, the, is the ability for the AI to rewrite its own algorithms and programs in order to tweak how it finds information and maybe come up with a scenario that we didn't anticipate because it's finding that it can do a better job at, at its task to basically improve its ability to answer a certain type of, uh, of question. And developers don't always know, can't always interpret exactly what the, the program is doing as it's writing its own code. <laughs> All oh, of this together creates a huge, what we call black box. It used to be in computer program when we could test the program by saying, if I input this data, I should get this data out as an output. We can no longer, now we can't, we can no longer determine how the computer came up with that output because of the vast, huge amounts of data involved and the layer upon layer of algorithms involved. And so we're, we've reached a point where we've a little bit lost control over how the the software is actually developing and, and why it's developing in that direction. That's just well. That's just well. So <laughs> by the way, we're talking with Guy Morris. Go to go to his website, guymorrisbooks.com. We need to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back though, I'm gonna ask him if uh, if we can see the end to this and is it gonna end well and what the hell did they do with the ark? is what I want to know, because they, they stole it, and they took it, and they put it someplace. Uh, but uh, I wonder what they did with it. So I, I think I, we have the guy here who can answer that for us. But we'll be we'll be right back. You're listening to Positive Talk Radio on KKNW 1150 AM. Stay right where you are. We'll be right back. Hey there. I'm excited that you're listening right now, and if you like what we're doing here, you're going to love PositiveTalkRadio.net. On PositiveTalkRadio.net, each show, which is recorded live, is packed with positive information, with real people discussing real issues, and positive solutions that can work for everyone. I hope that you'll join us on PositiveTalkRadio.net and listen to all 340-plus shows. I think it's worth your time. But then, that's just me. That's PositiveTalkRadio.net, your home for great progressive positive podcasts. When you want to say more than words communicate, you can with flowers. Your custom boutique floral studio in Bothell, Washington is anaturaldesign.com, connecting you to nature through the language of flowers. Where your people are is where our flowers are beautiful. Your success is our goal. anaturaldesign.com at your fingertips today. Hey, my friend. I'd really like to thank you for listening to the show today. As you may know, I started Positive Talk Radio way back in 2003. We were one of the first shows on KKNW. For 11 months, I was fortunate to be part of many lives, making a positive difference with great interviews and discussions, creating new thoughts and ideas. Sadly, for financial reasons, I had to terminate the show. Well, it took 18 years, but we're back better than ever. And not only on KKNW Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, but also podcasting with several inspiring channels with the same driving passion as the original. Please visit kmmedia.pro for complete information about all of these shows. In addition, 
If you feel called to keep positive programming on the air, you can join us by sponsoring the show and aligning yourself with our mission, which is nothing short of saving the planet and each other. Again, that's kmmedia.pro. I'll see you there. And welcome back, everybody, to Positive Talk Radio. And I got an, I've got an alert for you, a special alert that I need to do real quick, and then we're going to get back to talking with Guy Morris, and he's going to tell us why the earth isn't ending and uh, something like that. Um, um, I want to tell you about uh, something that KKNW is doing. Uh, they want to, uh, we want to encourage you to go to 1150kknw.com. And that's 1150kknw.com right now and fill out the 2023 KKNW listener survey. Now, why should you do that? It's because it helps the station plan, helps us understand a little bit better who our audience is, and it helps people like little old me be able to find uh, better advertisers that uh, fit the demographic and they know what the, we know what they're doing. So as an added incentive, when you fill out the survey, you got a chance to win a round trip uh, passage for two to uh, Victor- on the Victoria Clipper to Victoria, plus a $100 gift certificate to Famous Dave's Restaurant. So log into 1150kknw.com for your chance to win. And thank you for all your listenership. And make sure that you tell them that Positive Talk Radio is your favorite show. Okay. That's that's just between you and me, though. So just tell them that Positive Talk Radio is your favorite show. And uh, for helping us improve the station, great prizes might be yours, but you have to fill out the survey. So um, one lucky person is going to win, and I want to thank everybody for listening. And by the way, uh, Guy, he is he's actually local. He lives up in uh, um, Kingston. And I'll bet you you've taken the Victoria Clipper up to uh, Canada. Absolutely. Love it. Um, my wife actually works for a company in Victoria, so we love the area and love to go visit often. So she she must work remotely. She does, but, um, but they're based up there. Oh, very nice. Very nice. So Victoria, it's a great place to visit. And uh, uh, the, the hotels there are terrific. The food is awesome. And they've got the, the gardens. I forget what the name of the gardens are. Bush, Bush Gardens. Bush Gardens. And yeah. they, that's, the, those are really pretty to go look Phenomenal. at. Phenomenal, yeah. And, and, uh, and stuff. So do that. And uh, by the way, Guy, uh, um, if you go to um, you can look at his stuff and you can actually even buy his books and you can get synopsis from it and, and reviews and all that kind of stuff. It really is fascinating. But I got to ask you, where the hell did they put the ark? Well, that's, that's really interesting. And to do that, I had to do more research and I had to kind of look at research. Uh, yeah. It, I, I, I answer one question and I, I get 10 more that I've got to go answer. Um, but in, in the research, I, I tried to look at who, who might have a motivation for owning an ancient relic of, of the Jewish people and why. And, and part of all of that really stumbled me on to sort of the dynamics between Saudi Arabia, uh, Iran on the Islam side, and the peace treaties that we're basically trying to, that everyone, we seem to kind of have a hit and miss relationship with. Um, Now, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia um, has been 
very vocal on, on a number of things. And one of them is that he would like to see Saudi Arabia enter into, um, he wanted to basically enter into the Abraham Accords during the last administration and still interested in basically creating a peace with Israel. Um, he's also been uh, vocal in that he believes that Israel should be able to build a temple on the Temple Mount. And he's wanted to be um, put in charge or put on the, uh, Islamic board called the Wafq um, that um, manages the Temple Mount for 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 Islam, and uh, and the, right now the King of Jordan is um, is in that uh, key role. Uh, he's been very pro-Palestinian, anti-Israel uh, in that um, gathering, and in that sense, that puts him in between the two factions of Islam, which are the Sunni and the Shia. Um, the, the Sunni or the Shia being the uh, Iranian uh, group and the Sunni being the um, Arabian group. And so, which there's a, you know, we've recently seen sort of a semi sort of a agreement between Saudi Arabia and Iran, Iran that they're, they're not going to attack each other. But even so, it's sort of tenuous. And Arabia has been wanting to partner with Israel as one of the more dominant militaries in the area. And so I believe that the, my personal speculation, and it really is speculation at this point because nobody really knows, is that the crown prince of Saudi Arabia is the one that arranged to have this ark stolen and, 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 and took it because it would be the perfect sort of peace deal, um, peace offering with the state of Israel. Using um, it as a bargaining chip. It's a bargaining chip, exactly. In interesting, because, you know, uh, to date... To my knowledge, now you you probably have done research on all of this, but to my day to to my research and what I learned, there really isn't anything that is in the Old Testament that has come to us today. Uh, from now, the 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 scrolls were from right around the New Testament time, but there really isn't anything from ancient ancient times that we like Noah's Ark as an example, mm -hmm. or that we have de definitively found. If the Ark is there and it exists, that would be one of the first things that would actually prove that the Old Testament existed and what happened there was true. Well, I, I think there are a number of things that maybe some people may not be aware of. Um, there have been a number of, um, um, very few, but there's been a handful of um, documentaries about a um, um, uh, a mountaintop in actual Saudi Arabia. Now, most people think that the um, the um, mountain that Moses went on was in um, Egypt, but actually they have found all of the archaeological evidence behind that event in Saudi Arabia, and even so much so that the Saudi Arabian government has basically put fences and guards around this area to keep people from wandering in, uh, um, um, and, and it's all of... Um, I'm going to, I'm going to brain, I'm going to brain fart on the name of the mountain, but uh, there's a mountain right in Southern Saudi Arabia that, and, and all of the journey, all of the um, documented um, artifacts in the book of Moses uh, talking about the Exodus are actually documented and found in, in that area, including the, the altars, including the, the pillars, including the, the mountaintop that's been burned, um, uh, the rock that was basically broken open. So there are some, some other evidence that, you know, that are out there. It, it's just, it's not commonly known for, for a lot of people. But I, so I was just that I was trying to speculate if this ark had been stolen, who might want it? 
what might be the geopolitical implications, what might be the conflicts that were involved in doing that, what might be the internal Israeli um, um, politics involved in doing that, and how does my hero play into all of that? And part of the, the human part of the story is that the woman that turned our hero into a fugitive in the swarm, he now has to save her life twice in the last arc. And so we're starting to get a lot of different deep relationships. Uh, we're starting to get a sense of loyalty and, and disloyalties, um, um, romance a little bit uh, touches, touches on. And so it's a real great action thriller from that perspective. But a lot of it is, is based either on history or speculation as to what that might mean. So are you ever worried that uh, because the FBI did come to your door, are you ever worried that maybe the uh, crown prince is going to send somebody from the palace guard to come and talk to you? Um. If they would give me advance notice, I'd film it. <laughs> and if they don't give me advance notice, I might just say, okay, give me a minute. Let me get my camera. I got a cat. I got to get this. Um, you know, yeah, absolutely. There, there's always the possibility that I'm going to, um, I'm going to tick off somebody, but I have the, the sneaking suspicion that they have other more important things to worry about than me. <laughs> well, I would certainly hope so. I would certainly hope so. So in, in the in the book uh, of The Last Dark, you, it also talks about the end of times, as it were, or when the last days will be. Do you have a sense, on based upon your research and with AI and all the stuff that's going on, what, what, are, are we doomed to uh, another asteroid or something along those lines? What, what do you think? Well, I certainly think, and most of the scientists will say that's always a possibility uh, of all the tens of thousands of asteroids in the sky, we can only keep track of, we only know about a couple thousand of them. Um, there was the asteroid over uh, Russia a couple of years ago that just came out of nowhere and it exploded, fortunately exploded in a remote area, but even so it did significant damage to a city tens of, you know, dozen, couple dozen miles away. Um, there's always the possibility that an asteroid could be in our future and that's just part of what it is to live on this planet. Um, so, and now it's interesting, and, and so I, the next book beyond, uh, I'm working on a, a new book right now that'll deal with Ukraine and China and, the, and Taiwan, um, and, and, but the next book after that will actually deal specifically with this asteroid event. Um, and so, but one of the things that kind of got me along this thread was a number of years ago, I'm a rational kind of guy, and I'm always sensitive to when I hear people teaching about these, this topic and I, I hear all of their um, biases and trying to use prophecy to predict the future, which I don't think prophecy is meant to predict the future as much as to understand present current events and what they mean as they happen. But what I did do, and, and this goes back to the idea of having an AI decode prophecy, was a number of years ago. I had a I had a really great job at a big oil company. We had million tens of hundred million years of geologic data in a database. We had very sophisticated regression and probability uh, algorithm uh, computing models. And I was actually reading a National Geographic article that talked about the loss of fish stocks in on the uh, in in the U.S. and in Asia and in Europe and South America. And they were calculating fish stock losses in the range, and I can you can go look up the article in the range of 30% or more. And it dawned on me at, a at the time, I said, you know, there's a prophecy about that, about a, it, the, now that one of the things in, that messes people up 
is that prophecies almost always have two parts. There's an allegory of something, of how something happens, and then there's a result of what happens. And the allegory in this case was that a flaming rock had fallen from the sky. And the result of that flaming rock was that um, the, a third of the birds of the sea would die, or fish of the sea would die, the, a third of the birds of the air would die, a third of the beasts in the land would die, and the rivers of the earth would become polluted, to, and so, such that you couldn't drink from them. Well, it occurred to me when I read this, I said, well, wait a minute, that's not some future fantastical event that might happen with a flaming rock. All of those things I had read, I've been reading science magazines for years and all of those things had already occurred. There's several books already out called The Sixth Extinction about this event. And all of these events, rather than being a flaming rock that fell from the sky, came from human activity, pollution, population growth, territory loss, um, all of the things that we, we can now overfishing, um, overhunting, all of the things that we can attribute to. So I came to a kind of a preliminary conclusion. I said, well, what a prophecy is less about how God's going to destroy humanity as much as a warning about how we would probably do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so I actually went through, I collected about 20 or 30 different National Geographic and other magazines that had data. I was looking for data, hard data. And I took about 15 prophecies and I built a regression. I spent three days over a weekend to build a regression model to basically say, is this is this just random chance? Is it just uh, a one-off? Is it just uh, is it fairly low probability that all these things are tied together, um, and or are they somehow connected and and highly improbable? And I wanted a rational uh, perspective. I wanted a, a a an objective approach rather than all of the biases and the allegories to say are are we in trouble as a as a planet? Um, now, beside the fact that the the scientists have now pushed the doomsday clock to the closest to midnight that it's ever been uh, based on things like AI and the Ukraine war and the threat of weapons and the, the threats in tight with over Taiwan, um, this, the, the global pandemic and the supply chain of disruptions that are basically still going to have um, long term, longer term impact on, on all countries of the world. I wanted to be, this was a few years ago before those things had happened. So I was trying to come up with an objective approach. Well, I can say that by the end of that weekend, the, the, the result of all of that analysis to say, well, what's the probability of this one? Okay. What's the probability of this? Okay. Well, what's the probability of this? And then what's the probability of all these things happening in a short time frame, such as 50, 60 years uh, without the advent of an asteroid or a super volcano? And the model came back with a conclusion that it was one in 1.4 trillion chance against random chance. So that outcome really started altering my thinking. It started changing the way I looked at news. It started changing the way I looked at my career, my own priorities, my family, my faith. But that was sort of the inspiration that I had to really think in terms of how do I write modern day thrillers where it's not the actual event that we're worried about that we're, we're basically the hero has to solve, but what are some of the underlying or the background sort of threads that are basically pulling these things together? And, and so I think that we're certainly at a, at a point in time in history, we, it would be easy to say that we live in, in an unprecedented historic time. Yep. Uh, 
uh, there's nothing like the time frame that we've had since the Second World War in anything in our history, from space exploration to sciences, nanotechnology, DNA technology, artificial intelligence, weapons systems, communication, travel, medicine, um, all of the above. There, we live in a singular time in history. Now, the, as I said, the question I was trying to answer is, is that just simply an evolution of history or is there something prophetic about that? And the outcome came to me and said, well, there's something prophetic about that. Now, a lot of people say, well, that freaks me out. I said, OK, well, are, are, can you show me any study that's ever been done that didn't conclude that the death rate was 100 <laughs> percent? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I have, a, I have a time stamp on me. I don't know when that is, um, but, but there are people that do know. There are people where the doctors come to them and say, you know, George, um, you've got this in, incurable disease. We're going to give you three years. We're going to give you seven years. We're going to give you 10 years. But at, at sooner or later, this is going to have an impact on the, the length of your life. And I came to see prophecy as sort of the similar kind of thing. It's, it's basically a warning, a set of warnings to basically say, prioritize the things that are important. Um, prioritize the things that really matter, um, both in a spiritual and an emotional and a, and a physical and a family relationship level. And um, none of the stuff that we're doing is meant to last forever. So don't think that it will. And to it's, it's kind of a good set of warning signs. So I actually see it as a positive thing as a neck versus a negative thing. See, I knew you'd bring it around to a positive way that it's rather than us wandering around, looking at the sky, going, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. This is going to be it. It's going to be horrible. The, the reality is it is what it is. And, you know, and we're going to do the best that we can and, uh, and live your life, um, to the best that you can and to take care of each other and to be kind to one another. And, and, everything else that's out of your control is kind of out of your control. Well, exactly. And so we look at things like Ukraine and nuclear wars and global pandemics and all of these things. And rather than getting high anxiety about it, it's like, okay, well, that's just part of the process that's supposed to happen anyway. I'm not going to let that worry me. I'm going to focus more on, Hey, have I told my wife I love her today yet? And am I, am I taking, am I being a good father to my children? Am I being a good friend to my neighbor? And focusing on the things that really sort of are important for how we live our life here, not, you know, gee, what's, what are the circumstances whereby we might die? And, and the fact is, and I tell everybody, I'm just, I could be wrong. Uh, I could be off my rocker. I, I could, my math could have been wrong. Um, you know, I could be interpreting things wrong. But for me, I thought, well, even if my math was off by a factor of 100, it's still pretty compelling numbers. And so it, it had an impact on me not to drive me into fear. I don't have a bunker. I don't own a gun. I don't store food. Uh, I'm not worried about any of that stuff because all of that stuff is not stuff that we're really able to control. And that's not the outcome we're supposed to expect. And so why not just use it as a way of saying, this is my, this is my wake up call to live a good life and have as much meaning and value as I can in every way that I can while I can. Exactly. By the way, Eric has come to the rescue. Um, the gardens in Victoria are Bouchard, Bouchard gardens. Um, ah, 
and it's and I believe they're 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 raised and and so it's really a beautiful area to go to. So when you win the uh, contest, you can go there when you're in Victoria. Um, There's also an amazing museum in Victoria, uh, natural history that deals with uh, the natural history of the area. Fascinating museum. I loved every minute of it. But I did want to mention to you that you are absolutely 100% correct. Um, you're going to die. I'm yep. going to die. Everybody's going to die. But, you know, it, it doesn't mean that we're all going to die at the same time. Uh, it just means that, you know, and, and so, you know, live your life to the best of your ability at all times. And and understand that, that things are going to happen. And But, the, you know, on the flip side of, uh, of that, uh, I wanted to mention, uh, Guy, is that, We've lived in the most amazing time in the history of the world. Absolutely. It's, it's been fascinating to work with and live in this time frame and to do the things that we've been able to do that no other generation in history has been able to do. I mean, even the amount of travel, right? It, it used to be you'd have to spend months or years to go from continent to continent. We can do it in a few hours. You know, we complain about jet lag and think that, oh, my gosh, travel's hard. But the fact that we can see the world, we can get to know other cultures, that we get to experiment with science, the fact that I can talk to you now over the airwaves and see your face, I mean, the, tech, the, the our ability to, from the Hubble telescope and the, and the new uh, telescope to see the, the, the heavens in a way we've never seen them, everything about this generation is fantastical. Um, it, and it, it really is. You know, my um, I used to travel for a living. And my boss, who traveled more than I did, he was really excited because he was going to get the American Airlines has something called the Million Mile Club. Oh, yeah. And he was going to get it was either American or United. Uh, and he was going to be and the, and they actually when you get to a, a million miles, they announce it while you're in the plane. They give you this card. They do all this all this kind of stuff for you and stuff. But think about that. If you were in born just a hundred years earlier and you were in a covered wagon going across the, the prairie and you were going three to five miles a day, and now somebody's talking about being able in a short period of time traveling a million miles. It's, it's just exactly. And so many of the adventures I've had in my life from right. from diving with sharks in Morea to um um, exploring jungle ruins and mine ruins in Central America. Um, those, those were the kind of things you can do on a vacation, right? You didn't have to de dedicate your life to doing that. And so it enriches our lives so much. Um, the entertainment we have, the news we have, the knowledge we have, the, the fact that we can have an AI with 100 trillion data points is more knowledge that has ever existed in all of time. We don't even they, we you say you say that I have no earthly idea what that even means. It's, it's beyond our comprehension. It's so big. Yeah, so it, I, I'm, it really I'm excited about the time that we live rather than pessimistic. Um, exactly. And by the way, we're going to run out of time here. So I want to make sure we get the information out for you again. Uh, Guy dot com. Go there. I've got uh, one minute. I want you to tell our audience anything that you would like them to know. Um. Be curious, um, explore, learn, find out new things, learn new things from authors, from books, from from television and, and, and from traveling um, and do it with a, a 
a zeal that you get to have the kind of life that no other nation and no other um, generation has ever been able to have and keep a positive outlook. The, while my books deal with some very intense themes, uh, the characters and the character development is always a positive thing. It makes for very wonderful, lovable characters with who have wit and humor uh, in dealing with all of these scenarios. And just I think that reflects a part of who I am. And I would just encourage everybody to take advantage of this incredible life that we're living and go out and live it to its fullest. And get the three books. Go to GuyMorrisBooks.com. The Swarm or Swarm, Last Dark, Curse of Cortez. And, and I, I want to get Curse of Cortez because, as you explained the last time, 10 years of research, you, you really vetted it out and did a great job doing that. Guy, thank you very much for being here. We, thank you, Kevin. I need to have you back because I learned a lot. This was a fascinating show for me. So thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. You betcha. And by the way, everybody have a great day and be kind to one another because uh, each other's all we've got. We'll see you next time.